great to be with you. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. And we want to start this morning by turning to the book of Acts. We're finishing a little two-part series called How to Have Peace. And in the midst of storms happening, hurricanes taking place, and if you're following the news, also uh, what's happening uh, in Odessa, Texas, that's one of our Every, our every Nation Church uh, is literally there in Odessa. I was getting messages from people who were trapped in the movie theater uh, where things were taking place. And so um, we want to pray for our church there, our Every Nation Church in Odessa, but also uh, for uh, families there in, in, in Florida as well. Can we do that this morning? God is, he's a good God. That doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. And in this moment, we want to appeal to him and we want to pray to him and we want to seek his face right now. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We don't always understand why things are happening. We don't know the cause for certain things or the impact of certain things, but Lord, we look to you right now. God, those who are fleeing uh, the, the, the coming hurricane, we're asking for safety. Lord, e even over things like homes and possessions, livelihoods, God, would you protect uh, families that are in, in, in places of difficulty right now? And most importantly, would you, would, you, would you move in their very lives and protect them? God, we pray for our church in Odessa, and we ask, Lord, for your grace and mercy to be upon them. Lord, as they minister to those who have lost loved ones, Lord, as they're going through a tremendously difficult time trying to make sense of things, uh, Lord, would you move in ways that we can't even possibly fathom right now? God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. Show your mercy and your grace. Amen. How to have peace. Turn to Acts chapter 3. And we're going to pick up on the very tail end of one of the very first, well, the, the first sermon preached after Jesus uh, died and rose again from the grave. This is, post, this is after Pentecost as, as uh, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time. Crowds see them, and it looks like tongues of fire, literally, that have been resting on their head. There's spiritual gifts at work, the Bible tells us. Amazing things are happening. The power of the Holy Spirit is on display. And Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times, is filled with the power of the Spirit. He stands and he preaches the preach of all preaches. And thousands of people are Cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved, they say. And Peter tells them to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And my paraphrase that the Holy Spirit would fill them. And there's a little bit of conversation. And then he sums everything up right here in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, and that times of, love this word, refreshing may come from the Lord. All right, I have some confessions to make today. 
as much as I've tried to not love this beverage, I love a good Coca-Cola. Coke Zero is not the same as regular Coke. I have learned to live with it, okay? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like a dog, the next door neighbor's dog that just keeps chirping and you learn to just tune it out, right? I've learned to live with Coke Zero. It is not the same as regular Coke. I love a good Coca-Cola. Put it in the freezer. You know, freezes down a little bit. Not so that it's actually like hard, but just it's just a little bit icy. You pop that top. Kick it back and it's got that slow burn on the back of your throat. You feel that fizz and it's just, oh, it's glorious. I know that Jesus is alive. <laughs> I feel so good. feel alive from it. It's terrible for me. I know. I know it's terrible for me, which is why I have switched and I'm drinking coffee more than I am Coca-Cola beverages. But it doesn't make my heart happy. I feel so refreshed when I drink a Coca-Cola. You got that little ice fizzle. Oh, it's just beautiful. I say this because in preparing for the message, I, I literally Googled Coke. And I wanted to read what their mission statement was because I couldn't think of anything in the natural that refreshes me more than just <sighs> kicking back with an iced down Coke. And their mission statement says this. Coca-Cola's mission is to, and I quote, refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. I was like, first of all, that's like the mission statement of my church. <laughs> so I don't know what you guys are doing over there. You're doing something right, but you're also doing something wrong here. <laughs> and here's why I say this, because every time I have a Coke, and it feels so good on the way down, and it's got that nice burn that happens, you know what happens about an hour later? I don't feel so good. I got that sugar crash happening. Your forehead is literally just on the desk. You start gaining weight from drinking all that Coke. That isn't good. And you know what else happens is I still find myself thirsty. I'm not fully refreshed. I'm not. As much as I want it to do the job everlasting to truly refresh me, it doesn't actually last. Now, all of us know that because this is a natural thing. It's a temporal thing. But understand that when we talk about peace and we speak of refreshment, the kind of refreshment that we're talking about in Acts chapter 3, the peace of God at work in your life, this is not something that can ever be solved by something temporal. Spiritual problems require spiritual answers. And when Coca-Cola promises to refresh your spirit, they are lying to you. A Coca-Cola can't refresh your spirit. It can't do it. As much as we try. You know what else can't refresh your spirit? More money. You're a new marriage can't refresh your spirit. 
It can't do it. Having children, as wonderful as having children is, and, and, and some of you are trying, and some of you have been praying for, and you should, and we're praying with you, but understand that if you have a soul problem with Jesus and a peace problem, having children or having that thing, having that marriage, it will not truly quench the thirst of what is really happening in your soul. You need refreshment that only Jesus can provide. But more often than not, we look to find refreshment and peace, soul satisfaction in all kinds of crazy places. Temporary solutions can never satisfy eternal problems. <sighs> Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Last week, we, we, we spoke about Jesus' baptism. And we, we spoke about the very nature of Jesus. He wasn't baptized because he was a sinner. He didn't need to repent of any sin in his life. Yet, he took upon himself the posture of not my will but yours be done. And this was the mantle that he was picking up. And it's amazing the kind of peace that he lived his entire life with, even up to the cross, even when he repeated those words. He didn't want to die the death that he was going to die. God, if there's any other way, but not your, not my will, but yours be done. And when you live this way with Christ at the center, or in Jesus' perspective, the Father's will and the Father's heart on the forefront of everything that you do, guess what? You will find yourself living with more peace. But there's another side to this coin that you and I are wrestling with. Jesus overcame all the temptation of this three-letter word, but you and I have not. And because we have not, and because we are still ailed by it, we find ourselves dislocated in relationship with God, and it produces a lack of peace. Genesis 3, 6 through 6, we're going to take it all the way back to the beginning, where we find the first problem happening. I saw somebody, a teenager this morning, rocking a Space Jam shirt today, taking it all the way back. They, they, they're not wearing it because they lived it. Right? This is a vintage t-shirt. I'd lived Space Jam, okay? Genesis chapter 3, we are taking it all the way back, not because we lived it, but we're going old school on it today, and hopefully we can gain a few things from it. Genesis 3, 6 through 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. If, you, if you're familiar with the story in the Garden of Eden, Jesus, or God has allowed Adam and Eve, he's created man and woman, he's given them free reign in the garden to eat of anything. But because love requires free will for you to choose, there's an opportunity for them to love something other than God. So they took what they weren't supposed to and they ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. can't believe she did that. 
Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But God called, but God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You probably had part of that verse and not all of it, so forgive me. I added a couple notes here right before I came up on stage. Adam and Eve take the fruit that they're not supposed to take. They choose something other than God's best for them. They eat it. They share it. And then instantly something happens and they feel compelled to go get some leaves from the trees and cover themselves up and then they hear God. I can't imagine having this kind of relationship with God where you're just taking a nice ginger walk with him in the garden in the cool of the day. But somehow or another they hear, I don't know what it would have been like, the crunching of leaves or like a mystical wind blowing through the garden, but they heard something. And they said, Are we, no, we got to hide. And they hid. They covered themselves up and they hid. Why? Why is disobedience and sin, why does it produce a desire in all of us to hide? Why does it produce something inside of us where we feel this compelling need to cover our shame and to cover our sin? They're hiding. And it's the exact same thing that we do time again and again and again, day in and day out. When we violate what we know is right, there is this, there is this, the weight of knowing that what you did you shouldn't have done, and you just want to hide. You want to cover it up. If you don't believe me, just ask a child something when you know the answer and watch their face. Did you brush your teeth? Yes. <laughs> if I go and feel your toothbrush... Is it going to be wet? No, it's not. They literally are looking. My kids are looking from side to side of their siblings like, what are we going to say? We all need to be united on this. No, there's weighing. And then, and then there's hiding. And then there's excuses. And then there's shame. We do the same thing. You know what I mean? When you just, you know what you should be doing, but you aren't doing it. You blow, you lose your temper and you blow it. You look at something you're not supposed to on the internet. Your heart's wandering. You're afraid. You're fearful. You're knotted up inside. You're bit, there's bitterness creeping up on the inside of you and you just can't let it go. There's unforgiveness that's just ruling your heart. And here's what ends up happening. You, you, you hide from praying because Lord knows the thought of actually experiencing relationship with God, you, you, it's too much to bear. 
So we find things to fill our schedule. We don't want to pray when we're dealing with that. We hide from relationships with people who could really know how we're actually doing. We crave isolation because isolation protects us. Not letting anybody truly in. We hide from reading the Bible, and you, again, it, maybe you don't have a habit of reading the Scriptures. I want to encourage you to do it, but when you find yourself struggling with living right, your Bible can be sitting on the coffee table, and you will just kind of, you know, slowly walk around it and have something else to do because the thought of sitting down and reading it, what would God actually have to say to me? And we avoid it. And we welcome the text message interruption or the Facebook little notification or the Instagram distraction or the Snapchat that came in and, oh, thank God. Because the last thing I want to actually do is feel God right now. But consequently, it's the very thing that you desperately need. And it's the very reason we don't have peace. So we throw ourselves into work. We build our own sense of security by our measure of income. Build our own fortresses and our own fortitude around our lives because if I can just provide for myself, well then everything is fine. I had the, the privilege of chaplaining the Redskins service, Washington Redskins for the NFL uh, two weeks ago in Washington, D.C. And it's amazing to sit in a room with people that are literally over 10 years younger than you, making millions upon millions of dollars. And you can see with the speed of a cheetah whose security is really in what it needs to be in. It's easy. We build these fortresses. What else do we do? We throw ourselves into spending. $424 billion were spent last year alone in home upgrades. Now, I'm all about a good upgrade. We have to upgrade things because it feels like our house is falling apart at times. And you may be in, that sh in those shoes as well. But we, we, you know this, this may be you. But there's, an, there's a lack of peace in our soul. And to somehow remedy this lack of being centered and living for Jesus, we find things to just calm the storm. And so it's one house project after another. And the minute that one's done, well, we're just going to start another. And we just distract ourselves with project after project and spending after spending because somehow if our house is perfect, then our life will be perfect. But it actually won't. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with making your house nice. Don't, don't hear that. But I think you catch the drift. We do the same with do the same with pets. Now I'm going to make some people angry. They're trying to run me out of the church right now. I love pets. I grew up with pets. But I think we can see that at times it also becomes imbalanced where we try to draw something from a pet that you can only get from God. I'm going to try to draw love and never experiencing rejection or difficulty and strength. It doesn't matter what I do. My pet will always love me. 
and it will. And it can also give you a false sense of what real peace with a Heavenly Father looks like. Have pets, okay? Have dogs. Have just dogs, I guess. <laughs> Tim Keller writes this about sin. Because for many of us, church, we, if you grew up like I did, maybe sin was little more than a list in the Bible for things. And so, therefore, sin looked like, like don't murder. And so, if your list, if you could check some things off the box, well, I'm not murdering anybody, so I'm doing okay. You know, I haven't cheated on here, so I'm doing okay. I'm not providing false testimony. Last time I, 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 you know, last time I evaluated my life, I think I'm doing okay. You know, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. And the list, while lengthy at times, we, we treat sin as if it's, it's checkboxes and, and therefore we should have peace if we haven't done those things. But that's not how it works. Because sin isn't a behavior issue. It's a heart problem. Sin is on the inside of us. You do not, you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Does that make sense? It's, it's who you are. It's your position before God. It's why we are desperately in need of a Savior who can change us from the inside out. Tim Keller says that anything more important to you than God is sin. Forget your list. Anything more important to you than God is sin. If it, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God is sin. Anything you seek to give what, to, sin is anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Wow. Meaning if we're trying to draw something from things that, that only an eternal God can give, I've got a fancy word for it. It just means that there's sin in our heart. And that just means, the very definition of sin means that you're missing the mark. That's the literal definition for sin. But you've missed it. You have missed it. I, I've missed it. I need a redeemer, a savior, someone who can restore this broken relationship. It's also why Jesus says, Matthew 4, 17, right after he's baptized, right after he goes 40 days in the wilderness and he fasts and he spends time with God and he resists temptation. And he comes back and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent, he says. Turn. The same thing we see in the book of Acts. Repent so that, what? Times of refreshing may come to you. Luke 5, 32, Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have great news for you. We all qualify. We are all sick and in need of the great physician who can truly heal us. But it's not just a one-time moment. It's not a snap of a finger, infinity gauntlet, and you're fine, and you know, never to sin again. I still need God's mercy and his kindness working in me every single day. I am prone, I hate to admit this to you as the senior pastor of this church, that I am prone to wander in my heart of hearts and in my soul. I don't want to love sin. 
And yet when I'm not spending time with Jesus, and sometimes even when I do, I find my heart wanting to wander to something else. And I'm so thankful for a Lord and a Savior who comes walking in the garden searching for me even when I'm trying to hide. Jesus says the time has come, the kingdom of God. This is Mark chapter 1. Kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus has died on the cross. It's the, um, excuse me, the, getting ready to. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the heart of the message that we see time and time again is repentance. He hasn't come for the healthy. He's come for the sick. And I'm telling you right now, if you are within the sound of my voice, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're a kid listening to the podcast because your mom and dad are listening to it in the car, I have great news for you right now. There is nothing that you can do to remove yourself from God's good graces. You cannot run far enough for God to not be able to restore and bring peace to you. You cannot possibly do it. You are not strong enough to outrun God. You do not have enough strength. You do not have enough ability. You do not have enough wickedness stored up for God's good righteousness to not restore and make you in perfect right relationship with God. You can't do it. But that doesn't mean you can't sit and stew in your sin and just stay there. Austin Carr who is a wide receiver for the New Orleans Saints. Could not have written this at a more perfect time. Making millions of dollars. And he writes this in an article I read this week. The top of the article said, when NFL success doesn't make you happy. Early one morning after a win last season, I sat in my chair during my quiet time with God feeling empty and despondent. In my heart, I had dethroned God and put career success in his place. Achievement on the football field had become my functional idol. I couldn't point to the moment or day that this became true, but my frustrated mood was clear evidence that God needed to do some heavy lifting in my heart to reorient its affections and to orbit around Christ again. Robert Robertson Robinson is an English clergyman who lived in the 18th century. He's a gifted pastor and preacher. He's also a very gifted poet and a hymn writer. And after many years pastoring and preaching and writing, his faith began to fail. And he wandered away. And it was some years later, he was literally riding in a carriage with a young woman who was reading some Christian poetry. You can probably tell where the story is going. She asked him to explain this to her, if, if possible, as they're riding in the 18th century taxi cab. 
Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never failing. Call for hymns of loudest praise. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Take my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. As the story goes, as they're sitting in the carriage, she asked if he could explain it, and he said, oh, I can, I can more than explain it. I wrote it. And he repented, and he returned to the Lord right then and right there that evening. And he describes his wandering season as a season of peacelessness. Why? Because his relationship with God was broken. Didn't mean that he was necessarily going to hell, but it means that there was this, there was this relationship with God the Father and he is the Son or maybe you, the daughter, and you just, you know some things aren't quite right, but you haven't taken the time to come out from hiding behind the trees and just say, God, here I am. This is what I'm going through. This is what I've done. This is what I'm guilty of. This is, this is my time of confession. And what do the scriptures tell us? That when we confess, we are So this morning, as we talk about having peace, not my will, but yours be done, but also picking up the lost art of repenting for our sin and turning to God that seasons and times of refreshing may come to us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what can give you peace today? Having your eyes opened afresh to the love of Jesus. It doesn't matter how deep your pit is. It doesn't matter how much you feel stuck. And it does not matter what your history is. It does not matter what you have done. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of the Father. Return to Him. Repent. Turn. And give Him your life. Amen. Stand to your feet, church. We're going to close it just like we started it in Acts chapter 3. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus.
turn to him. It's a simple application today. Turn to God. Whatever you're carrying, turn and give it to him. Whatever has gained affection in your heart more than God, give it to him. Whatever has has grasped your imagination and your longing more than God, give it to him. Whatever you know is wrong that you continue to persist in, give it to him. Repent, turn, and give it to him. That you may feel the refreshing of the Lord. Father, we come to you right now. God, we are all sinners in this room in need of your mercy, in need of the grace of our great physician, God, to heal our very hearts. God, we long to experience your peace and we know there are things in our hearts and our lives that aren't right, that are dislocated, that have, that have gained too much attention or too much traction. And God, this morning, we want to give those to you right now. Wherever you are in your seat, standing in your seat, I want you to just either quietly, out loud, I want you to give God what you need to give Him today. Whisper it. Pray it. Confess it. Talk to Him. Return, repent, turn away from whatever it is that's gained so much of your heart and turn it to God. Right where you're sitting, right where you're standing. Say, God, I give you my life today to you this Sunday morning and I give you everything you are the love and Lord of my life my beautiful Savior thank you for saving me thank you for changing me and thank you for always loving me it's in the mighty name and beautiful name of Jesus that we all can say Amen.